If you have good cheer because you have overcome, say amen. amen. Uh, is that how you are going to say the amen? amen? I said, if you have overcome, say amen. amen. Express your good cheer by saying amen. amen. Tell somebody beside you, I am an overcomer. I am more than a conqueror through Christ Jesus who loves me. Say like you like it like that. Say, I am more than a conqueror because Jesus loves me and he has gotten the victory for me. Now let's declare God's word together, all right, as we start. Now I declare that the Lord has given me the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him and I'm being filled with the knowledge of his will. In all spiritual wisdom and understanding, as a result of this, I'm walking in a manner worthy of the Lord. I am pleasing Him in all respects. I am bearing fruit in every good work, and I'm increasing in the knowledge of God. Again, I incline my ear to His Word. The Word is entering my heart. It is giving me light and direction. It is healing me in every area, and it is making me more and more like the Lord Jesus. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. amen. I said amen. amen. Quickly, let's um, continue our school of prayer, how to pray in the time of adversity. This was what I began. I introduced it briefly, just for a few seconds, as we're closing last time. And I want to pick that. I want to pick up from that point today. All right. Let's quickly go to the book of Luke, chapter 23. Uh, okay, yeah. Let's start from... I'll just start from anywhere, but I'll rush to the main place where we are going. My issue is I just like to get it in context so that we'll all just have a background to what I really want to read. Where I'm going is um, around verse 27, but let's just back up. If you know from verse um, uh, 20, uh, around verse 18, about, well, this was when they were making a choice for Barabbas instead of Jesus Christ, and then Pilate, in verse 21, they kept on calling out, Crucify, crucify him. And then later on, in verse 23, they were insistent and with loud voices asking that he be crucified. Then verse 24, Pilate pronounced sentence that their demand be granted. And he released the man they were asking for who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. But he delivered Jesus to their will. And they continued all of these things in verse um, 26, when they led him away, they seized a man, Simon of Cyrene, coming in from the country and placed on him the cross to carry behind Jesus. And following him was a large crowd of the people and of women who were mourning and lamenting him. In verse 28, the Bible says, Jesus turned to them and said, Daughters of Jerusalem, stop weeping for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. Now, if you now get down to verse 33, the Bible says, When they came to the place called the skull, there they crucified him and the criminals. But Jesus was saying, now please, this is where I was going. I just read all of that to get, give us a background of the punishment and the unjust crucifixion that Jesus was going to experience. In verse 34, the Bible says that Jesus was saying, Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they are doing. And he said they cast lots, dividing up his garments among themselves. Then again, quickly flip over to the book of Acts chapter 7. Um, you know the story again. We all are aware of it. About how Stephen was 
telling, well, of course, preached the word of God to the people, and they got to a particular point, they were offended by the things that he was saying. He now said in verse 54, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the quick, and they began gnashing their teeth at him. But being full of the Holy Spirit, he gazed intently into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens opened, opened up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. But he cried out with a loud voice and covered their ears and rushed him with one impulse. It says that when they had driven him out of the city, they began stoning him. And the witnesses laid their robes at the feet of a young man named Saul. They went on stoning Stephen as they called on the Lord and said, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. Having said this, he fell asleep. Now I read this for two, um, to bring out two instances in which one, the Lord Jesus himself was suffering affliction and persecution. And then he prayed for the people that were persecuting him. And then we saw here in the book of Acts, or we are seeing it, in which Stephen, who was being stoned to death, prayed for the people who were stoning him to death. And I'm talking about how Christians are supposed to respond in the time of affliction. We'll be looking at different things. All right. Now, let's just read one more thing. This is just, um, just to get the words of the Lord Jesus out of, of it. That book of Matthew, chapter, chapter 5, verse 10. Blessed are those who have been persecuted, he said, for the sake of righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of God, not the kingdom of heaven. In, 11, in verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice, he said, and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Then he said a number of things. If you go down to verse 43, he was now speaking, he said, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he causes his Son to rise on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. He said, For if you love those who love you, what rewards do you have? Do not even the task collectors do the same. If you greet only your brothers, say, What good have you done? Verse 48, he says, Therefore you are to be perfect, as your heavenly Father is perfect. All right, the Lord is good. I said the Lord is good. Very good. All right. Now, I just wanted to read this so that from this particular point, we pick up what we have been saying, how to pray in the time of affliction. We have looked at many things. Most importantly, that we should always focus on God and not start looking out for human help as a source of our solution when we have trials. As a matter of fact, trials will come in life. They will always come. There will always be problems in life. That's just the way life is. A time will come, you will get to work, and nobody will like you there. And you will transfer a boss to your office, and you will think that they specifically transfer this person to come and make your life miserable. 
And do you understand my point? It will happen. All right? You'll be an associate pastor in a big denomination, and an area pastor will come and be pulling your ears. I'm going to transfer you to where you will suffer. You get my point? It is going to happen. Things like that happen once in a while. All right? These are the things we are talking about the time of affliction. We have looked at many of the facts about the fifth day or so that we are talking about this matter. What I want to talk about here is how we relate with people through whom things are happening. Let me quickly say this. What you see these days in Christianity, which many of our churches do and celebrate, let's say clearly, we have read enough scriptures to see that they are totally not in alignment with what Jesus taught. People gather, he said, today all your enemies are going to die. And then you start commanding that they should die. It is not New Testament practice. Are you getting my point? It is not. It is not. You see, that's what I read all of this. It's, that's what we want to look at. How do you re- react in the time of affliction? Now, sometimes what Jesus says is very contradictory to common sense. It's very contradictory to common sense. And that's why he will tell you, I say, uh, you've heard it said. Now I am saying to you. You heard this one said. Now I am saying to you. He will tell you the things that you have heard uh, that is very common, things that are popular, that other people are doing. Then he now says, no, I don't want it to behave like that. And this is what I want it to do, which means that what he wants them to do is actually contrary to that which common sense and popular doctrine dictates. And I want to say what I'm saying today, it is very totally opposed to what many of us Christians practice, all right? It's radically different from what the flesh normally feels like doing. Now, remember these two stories we told. Now, here we found the Lord Jesus who was being crucified, all right? He was being punished. He was being um, led through the crowd and he was being made to carry a cross. And then the time came, of course, at the point in time, they had to nail him to the cross. And what was his response? Now, let me just say something quickly here. The way God does things is not always, uh, how do I say it now? Sometimes God wants to do something. There are things he says, cooperate, cooperate with me. And there are some he says, don't cooperate with me. I don't know whether you get my point. For example, if he wants to betray Jesus and send him to the cross, he doesn't want anybody to volunteer. Are you getting my point? Because it's a bad thing. If he does it, all right, whoever gets involved will get punished. And that's what happened to Judas. All right? Even though the Lord wanted that to happen. Now, please bear that in mind. I'm saying something here. You will see that Jesus spoke sharply all right, against Jerusalem. And he told them what was going to happen as a consequence of what they were doing. Okay? Now, you see an example. There was a time Jeremiah began to pray for the people of Israel. All right, you can see that in Jeremiah chapter 14. When Jeremiah prayed and prayed and prayed, at the point that God said, enough praying. This is your prayer. I will not answer it. Why? Because the amount of iniquity that has been committed here, all right, cannot be atoned for anymore by just people like you making intercession. He now went on to Jeremiah chapter 15 verse 1, that even if Samuel, Moses, were to rise up and pray, I still will not pay attention. I still will not listen. Now, I'm trying to say something here. So that was this kind of situation that happened again in the time of the Lord Jesus. He said, so that the judgment that was determined, all right, from time, okay, we brought to this generation. He said, well, the blood of um, all the prophets that were killed from uh, Abel down to Zechariah. I said, all of them, for the blood to be brought upon this generation, they will give them more prophets, more apostles who they will kill, and then judgment will come. So he warned ahead of time. He told the disciples, when you see the armies begin to surround Jerusalem, know that her desolation is near. 
That was going to happen, and there was no remedy. In fact, the statement he made here, which you just referred to, was for him to tell the people that he told the women that were crying and following him. He said, listen, if they can do this into the um, is it wet tree, he said now, what would they do to the dry? That is, I didn't do anything. I'm not under divine judgment. And they are doing all of this. What will now happen? So he told them, don't cry for me. Cry for yourselves and for your children. He knew that that was going to happen, as a matter of fact. So sometimes we read the scriptures, we know what God is going to do in some areas. But when it was now time to make intercession for people, what he just did was to turn around to those who were crucifying him and punishing him. He said, these people don't know what they are doing. And for that reason, he said, Father, forgive them. Are you getting my point? That's what he did. When it was left to him to make a decision concerning the fate of those who were persecuting him, who were judging him, all right, he knew Jerusalem was going to be destroyed. He just looked at the people and felt sorry for everybody participating and said, Lord, forgive them, Father, forgive them, for they don't know exactly what they are doing. The same thing happened to um, uh, Stephen. I believe that they already understood the spirit of Christ. And when he got to that point, he was being stoned. You know, it, you know when we read all these uh, um, Islamic persecution stories, okay, the normal response is you want God to you know, rain fire from heaven and destroy everybody. But this is the interesting part. Jesus doesn't want, especially things like that, this Islamic persecution, Jesus does not want that kind of prayer. You can pray for deliverance, no problem. You can pray for people to, for the persecution to end, no problem. But when you have to pray again for the people who are involved, he said they don't know what they are doing. So what do you do? You pray for them. Father, forgive them. Now, it was important we read this issue of Stephen because Saul was definitely there and we believe that the prayer of Stephen was instrumental, was part of what God put together for the salvation of uh, Saul. Saul was there sitting down, you know, consenting. It was, it was just, it was the one coordinating the attack. All right, you are going to wear the suicide vest. You go to that side. Are you getting my point? You blow from this and once you are moving out, you start firing. He was coordinating the attack. And when Stephen saw all of this going on, he said, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And the Bible specifically mentioned that there was a young man, Saul, who was there holding the robes of those who were stoning Stephen. Now what am I saying? How do you pray in the time of affliction? This is very common prayer. You hear it all the time, every time. In fact, I went for a funeral last week, and the Anglican bishop that was preaching, you're just unfortunate for me that his message was half in Hebrews, and I didn't hear most of the things he was saying. I had to try. I knew the man was preaching some very good words. Are you getting my point? Everybody was laughing. I will hear a few things he will say in English, then he moved to Hebrew, and even when he was saying Hebrew, I will try and connect. You know, I know small now, you know? <laughs> Maybe not as much as I would have loved to, but, you know. I did the man was saying something. And when he said that one, I had to say amen. He also pointed out this thing I'm saying. That she went somewhere one day, and one woman was having problems, and she came to give testimony. As she had prayed, and her mother-in-law had died. <laughs> and were rejoicing over it. Now, can God kill people to deliver you? Yes, he does. He does that a lot. Oh, he does it a lot. He just said, even when he does it, you must not rejoice. And so, if you can't rejoice, you should not have prayed for it. I don't know whether you are getting what I'm saying. Yeah. Yes. There are kinds of prayers you will pray. You will prophesy some kind of prophecies. And people will just die as a result. In fact, there's, there's one interesting one. Let me just read it quickly. If you see from verse 5, Ezekiel chapter 11. Ezekiel said, Then the Spirit of the Lord fell upon me, and he said to me, 
Say, thus says the Lord, so you think, house of Israel, that I know, for, he said, so you think, house of Israel, for I know your thoughts. You have multiplied your slain in this city, filling its streets with them. Jeremiah answered in verse 13. Now it came about, as I prophesied, that Pelatia, son of Beniah, died. I don't know whether he noticed that. He didn't speak specifically against the man. He was just doing his own prophesying. And the man heard the prophecy and died. Now, what, what am I saying this? If I didn't read this, it, it shocked yeah, Ezekiel. He said, Then I fell on my face and cried out with a loud voice and said, Alas, Lord God, will you bring the remnant of Israel to a complete end? Let me just stop here. I just want to use that one to illustrate the fact that sometimes it happens like that. Okay? You are just declaring the word of God. And people, people die as a result. And that's, see, there's nothing you can do about it. I'm talking about how do you as an individual react? This popular teaching that we have in today's Christianity, that people start declaring that every enemy that doesn't want me to succeed, this year you will die. And most of the time, they have people in mind though. Yes, Christians go to work hoping their boss will die. Why? Because they wanted appraisal over the last few uh, two years. The man has not done good appraisal so that they will get the appropriate promotion that they think that they deserve. So now go to church and say, you will pray today that fire will fall and slaughter all your enemies. There are churches that that's how they pray. Die. Die. The one that will go and carry scripture, I want to use to destroy Opponents, maybe you are doing business. Somebody is against you. You are in a family. This one that is very common. Relative trouble. This is Africa. Are you getting my point? In-law troubles. You know, my extended family. They don't want me to succeed. And then we pastors will not gather. And some people say, you will give an, an, a slaughter offering. Ah, there are all kinds of offerings we used to manufacture. This is the end to my enemy's offering. And then the point that next day people will now start testifying. When I go home, do you know I heard that they called me that my uncle was sick. And after he's been sick for one week, he died. Praise the Lord. The prayer worked. Killed my uncle. Like your friend will say, I killed my uncle. <laughs> he has a friend that used to preach like that. I was like, I killed my uncle. I killed my uncle. There are things that even if you did, you should not testify. Let it be between you and God. Say, Lord, let your children not know that I killed my uncle. It's not a good testimony. That's the point I'm trying to emphasize. How to pray in a time of affliction. It is not time for you to start seeking that those who are afflicting you, God will kill them. These are decisions that God would like to take himself. Please, I hope you are following the point I'm making. There are decisions he wants to take himself. Your own needs are, he said, what do I do with them? He said it clearly. Pray for them. God does not desire that a sinner should die. So his children don't have a right to desire the death of a sinner. What is, what is to be celebrated in the fact that your uncle died? He said, the man was an Ogboni man. He was afflicting me. He has gone to hell. And you are happy about that? Few people, that's a better way to say it, have been persecuted like Saul persecuted David. Saul saw David as a threat to his throne. And David indeed was the replacement king that God had appointed. David was getting very, very popular in Israel. 
Saul has slain his thousands. David slain, has slain his ten thousands. And Saul didn't like that. People were moving. I mean, can you imagine? If it was men that were singing it, not a problem. But the women were the ones singing it. That is, the women loved this boy more than they loved Saul. And, I mean, the spirit of jealousy just added to that one. It's not just a throw matter. This is popularity with the women. <laughs> you get what I'm saying? Saul, David will be in his palace playing an instrument to help him. And he will take a, a, a javelin, like a spear, and thrust it. And he was a woman of war. He knew how to do it. He wasn't just throwing at random. He, was, he knew how to do it. Saul was a man of war. David would dodge and run. He plotted all kinds of plotting. You know the story. Let me not bore you with repeating all of the stories. Yet the day he died, Saul, David lamented. I did say it again. Thy beauty, O Israel, is slain upon the high places. How are the mighty fallen? I learned that in VK, secondary school. Didn't, didn't you, learn, you have to memorize it. Tell it not in Gath. Publish it not in the streets of Ashkelon. Let the daughters of the Philistines rejoice, and the daughters of the uncircumcised you know, rejoice, whatever. O mountains of Gibeah. Let there be no rain or dew upon you. We, we crammed all of these things in secondary school. Am I still getting some of it right? I try, eh? This is from 1983. Trust me. <laughs> That's how we memorized it that time. Now, the point I'm making is this, all right? That was how he responded. The man that came to keep, that, that lied. He lied, though. Yes. He lied. Yes. He just wanted to quickly benefit from the death of Saul. He died for it. David felt it necessary to avenge the death of Saul. So, and this was his number one enemy. This was personal enemy number one. If he was not willing to kill, of course, you know, twice, God allowed him, testing his faith, allowed him twice to kill Saul. Saul was sleeping. They did not know the men of David were inside the same cave. David said no. And David said a prophetic word. He said when the time comes, when his time comes, maybe he'll go to battle and there he will die. Exactly what happened. He said, but no, I must not ever stretch my hand against the Lord's anointed. Twice, he left Saul. And he had a good testimony. What I mean, good testimony. The men had a good story to tell about the faithfulness of God, of how God presented Saul to them. Almost everybody I know that's praying against all these enemies, these African enemies, they are afraid of those enemies. It's fear. It's fear. They believe that the year that King Uzziah Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. A misreading of the Bible. The man was giving dates. The year that Buhari won the election, we opened our ministry. Does it mean that without Buhari winning the election, ministry can't start? That the man was giving dates. People say, this year, every King Uzziah in your life will die. Please, don't, if you go to a church and they are praying such prayers, just stand there and be giving thanks. Remember to pray your own prayer from Psalm 23. He prepares the table before me in the presence of my enemies. I do not require the death of anybody for my life to move forward. 
Anybody God wants to kill, it is between him and the person. It's not my duty to start deciding, especially my relatives, that they should die. That thing is of Satan. Churches do it. That is satanic ministry. It's a satanic ministry that will participate in. I don't mean the church is a church of Satan, no. I don't mean that activity is satanic. Let me quickly say something to you. It works, so. You know what I mean by it works? If you want to kill somebody, you can tell the person, die, 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 and he will die. I'm not joking about that. Don't think I'm kidding. I mean, literally, you can have somebody die by deciding that this person should die. And I'll tell you the reason. That's how witches do it. That's how cultists do it. The only way you can remotely, using spiritual principles, now have somebody die, is to present petitions against them before God. Satan doesn't have any power to kill anybody. Except their sin first condemns them. What keeps many of us alive, or many people alive, is a voice of intercession that goes up against the voice of accusation against the people. So if you, as a child of God, actually get up and say, Lord, this man has done me evil. I refuse to show him mercy. I demand that you avenge him, avenge me with death upon him. Listen to this. You have not prayed like the Lord Jesus. You have just stood up as as a human being who has right. So when you say that, even though God is not pleased with the prayer point, you are now in the camp of the accuser. God will still release the judgment because he's a just God. One, you are no longer in the camp of intercessors keeping the fellow alive. Two, you have now become a voice of accusation. So if you demand, I say die. If he didn't commit a sin worthy of death, he will not die. But if he did, and most people have. <laughs> yes, there are many things. Look, disobedience, Paul says, uh, the, the Bible says, someone was speaking, is that the sin of witchcraft. Go and read the scriptures. The judgment for witchcraft, as far as God was concerned, was death. There are so many things they've done. Especially when the person actually did what is evil against you. Ha! Huh. Listen, the fellow will die. And then when the fellow is dead, you will now come and think it's a sign of your spirituality. It is not. It is a sign that you are not like your father who is in heaven. It is a sign that you don't know how to pray. It is a sign that you have misused the power to pray that God gave to you. If you study it well, as believers, <laughs> there's so much power available to us that God doesn't let us know on time because except the spirit is right, we use it wrongly. Before you know what's happening, people just, just they go for a road. Die. Somebody will die. Die. <laughs> Bus driver will die. Die. Policeman will die. Die. I just say, what happened? A Christian just passed here. <laughs> if you ever saw the film, AD, the Bible continues. <laughs> After Ananias and Sapphira died. <laughs> I don't know how many of you have seen the film. <laughs> Peter was walking on the road. Some children were coming. So, you know, Peter just saw the kids. Hey, hi, kids. They stopped. And once they run. <laughs> one to the other one. Run. And, they, of course, they, they went in different directions. <laughs> one does you want to do to us what you did to Ananias and Zafira. Thank you very much. We'll pass next time. 
know, sometimes if God gives us a lot of power, look, we'll just be killing people left, right, and center. And especially any perceived enemy. That's, that's, that, that, that's what we teach in today's Christianity. And I'm here today again to let you know it's not right. First, there's no need to be afraid. That's where we started from. The Bible says clearly, he prepares... Ah, let's read it. Let me be sure it's in my Bible. Psalm 23, quickly. We all know how it is. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me light and green pastures, restores my soul. In verse 4, he said, Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Let's read from verse 4 together. I want us to end then in verse 6. From verse 4, let's read. Whatever version you have, you will read with me, all right? One to go, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You have anointed my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely, goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever and ever. Amen. Let's read number five again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Pause. Read that again. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. He did not say you prepare a table before me when my enemies are all dead. Your enemies can never be the reason why you are not making progress. Are you getting my point? We just need to say this thing again and again. We can't say it enough. They are not the reason why you are not making progress. If the ways of a man pleases the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Israel was never afflicted because their neighbors were strong. Israel was only afflicted because they sinned against their God and the strength of their neighbor was just something that was lifted up as a punishment of God against their sin. I hope you are getting my point. What if I'm in school? A lecturer says I will not graduate unless I do something that is iniquitous. Read to the man, like I say all the time, the word of God. (laughs) Sir, I will take your matter to prayer. (laughs) I'm serious. But when you think about the man, say, Lord, have mercy on him. Let him repent. Because the fact is that he will soon die if you don't pray. So you can pray for him. Let him not die. Let him repent. And I begin to declare scripture, just like what I've been saying, that nobody can stop my progress. Assume the man's name is Mr. Give me a name. Ajale Koko. Thank you very much. You say simply, sir, Mr. He said, Lord, Mr. Jelokoko will not stop my progress. He's not big enough. He's but man. Are you getting my point? I think as a believer, be careful that you don't directly condemn him. Yeah. The reflex is for us to do that. But Jesus said, let's obey the word of the Lord. And let me tell you something about God. If he says do something one way, that's the best way. Did you hear what I said? That is the best way. If he says do this that way, that way that he's saying is the best way to do it. I know the flesh will want to really tell that man, die by tomorrow morning. But I think we should fight against that and subdue it. Why? Because the Lord said it simply. Now, I said something earlier. It does not mean he will not kill somebody. I don't know whether you're getting my point. 
He just said that you don't provoke it. If he has to, because that's one thing God does. Assuming is Egypt. Hmm? You know what he did in Egypt? He started killing people as a last resort. Now, there are different ways to interpret that. And they are all correct. Okay, I just want to pick one of them. I don't want you for a moment to look at the fact that God said, I will harden his heart. For a moment, don't look at that. For a moment, just focus on the, the sequence of events that happened. There were nine plagues. From the first one to the ninth one was just increasing intensity and amount of suffering people had to go through. The first few affected everybody, including the Israelites. And after the first three, it was only the Egyptians that were being affected. All right? Then the last one, God said, now, I'm going to do something that will make sure that this man lets you go. Like I said, for a moment, don't look at the fact that God said that we're hardening his heart. Because there's a long story behind God hardening people's hearts. God does not harden a heart that was soft. He never does that. You have to have a heart of wickedness for him to make you strong. He will not look at a man whose heart is normally kind and tender and harden it. It is when they have sinned again and again, he will now say, go and say to these people, hear and don't understand. Then their hearts become hard. So let's not look at that for a moment, all right? But the point is that he left killing all those people to the last. You know that when he did that, everything will work? Now, what I want to bring out from it is that he, he went progressively wishing that men will repent. I don't know whether you're getting my point. And what he's saying is that, my people, follow my own attitude also. Sometimes while you are praying for people, problem comes upon their head. Yes, I mean, if you are saying a man that he should repent, that he should be saved. Meanwhile, he's rich and he's flourishing and he's fat. Everything is happening well for him. How do we persuade him? Now, they are going to have a conference in heaven about the man and decide that the reason why he has not prayed the last three years is because business is doing well. So when you are praying, God help him to see the light of the gospel. The manifestation is that his business will have problems. He will go for three months, he won't make one dime. He's a lecturer as an example. Suddenly, he will get an accusation against him. He didn't ask for it to be done. But an accusation is raised up against him concerning plagiarism. He has, suddenly his career of 20 years is at the edge. And he's saying, God, what do I do? And then somebody says, give your life to Christ. He goes to church, confesses all his sins. You could have killed him and you'll have graduated. But he can also get converted and you see graduate. Which one is better? The second option. That is not how the normal flesh will want to react. But that is how the disciplined believer reacts. It does not, let me say this again. That's something we don't understand. Sometimes. We Christians think that it's only what we say that God ever does. No. Sometimes he does what he wants to do. After we have said what we want to say, and he makes it clear that what you have said, what you have requested cannot be done. Why? The man is not worthy. And that's the tenth plague. So when the tenth plague is to be released, when too many people who are, too many good people are being held in bondage by this one single man, and as you are praying, you are still declaring, one man cannot stop my progress. Don't ever forget to declare the whole, you know we're talking about the whole counsel of God. So people only half a, you know, many of us as believers, we stick with only a partial counsel. There's nothing wrong with prayer. Arise, O Lord, 
and let my enemies be scattered. Is that what he said? No, let your enemies, that's what I am again. I pray this one, I know you are my enemy, so I said, Lord, have mercy on you. But Lord, arise, let your own enemies be scattered. That's scripture. The word of God must continue. Are you getting my point? That's the whole counsel of God. I'm trying to say is that God, a point comes, God says, well, this man has constituted himself as being my enemy. That's what I said to you the other day. If you tell him, sir, I'll pray about this matter. And he said, what will your God do? That one, don't pray for him. I'm not kidding. Don't pray for him. Leave him. Don't say anything. There are prayers God doesn't want you to pray. If a man you tell, be careful, sir. We, are, we will pray about this matter. Say, pray now. What will your God do? Don't say a word. Don't say good. Don't say bad. Just tell him you will see. Next time you are going to pray, behave like he does not exist. Because there are things that God, you know, no, Jesus looked at the time and he said, blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, there's no forgiveness. Some of those statements constitute just that. And you that's praying for the man, you're wasting time. If a man looks you in the face, you tell him, oh God, I'm a believer, this matter, we'll pray about it too. And he said, go and pray now, what will your God do? Yeah. Just say the man, you will see. Just, like I said, don't say anything. There are times people open their mouth and report themselves to the Lord. The foolish, man, the foolish man says in his heart, let him just be saying it in his heart. He will leave. <laughs> I don't know why you're getting my point. This is how I, 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 I did this it there. Once you're in your heart, just keep quiet. Oh my God will be watching you. He will be patient for a very long time. Be saying in your heart, there is no God. Then when you open your mouth loud, there is no God. You say, oh boy, take it easy. Oh. <laughs> The more the number of people that hear you say it, the higher you are for falling. Are you getting my point? God keeps on raising you higher and higher and higher and higher. Like I said, balance with believers have to maintain. But the primary, the default position for every Christian when you want to pray concerning your so-called enemies, this is the word of the Lord. Jesus said, love your enemies. Do good to those who persecute you. That is, if Nigerian Christians want to pray against Islamic persecution, what they should do is to say, Lord, tear down every barrier of penetration of the gospel into Islamic lands. Yes. You don't start, Lord, kill every Muslim that's persecuting us. No. That one is, you are directly opposing the scripture. You are. What do you do? Like, you've heard of all this, you know, the, they send pictures around, many of them from wrong places, they mislabel them, say it's from northern Nigeria. Many of them are not from northern Nigeria. Let's even assume they are. They are designed to stir up anger. That's actually a satanic strategy. Because the angrier you get, and the more personally angry you are with people so that you cannot pray for them, the less likely it is that the, that the gospel will enter such places. If all of us Christians decide that a particular area in a particular part of Nigeria is to be condemned. Even if God is not ready, if we bind, they are bound. Bound. God will have to wait for another generation of people that will understand differently to losing the place. That's why I think we have to be very careful. If you check how, there was a time we are talking praying for a country like Nigeria. I kept on saying, we refuse to yield any square inch. Because what Christians do a lot of times is to yield what are the Christians still doing in the north? Let them come to the south. As if south is a Christian land. There's a lot of religion, but very hard hearts also present. 
Uh, like people always say, I say it all the time, other people say it too, that up there, who told you that only the people from the South are Christians? You go to a place like Adamawa, there are at least 50% who claim to be Christians. Bauchi the same. Natives, I'm not talking about foreigners. The natives. Go to a place like Kebi. That's what you find. There are many places in the north. Of course, you know the, about Kaduna now. Kaduna is split. These are facts. But what we want to do is to say, because of persecution, let us bind the areas. And say, gospel will not enter there. The light of God will not enter there. Blessing will not enter there. Only judgment. God raise rain fire from heaven. But he said, don't pray like that. The time of fire will come. He knows how he builds up his fire. In fact, the more you pray merciful prayers for people, the heavier the amount of prayer uh, of, of uh, fire that is built up in reserve in case, in case the mercy does not work. <laughs> it may sound funny, but it's not a joke. You go and see in the scriptures. Don't have time to look out, check the scriptures out now. There are about two of them I have in mind. One from Jeremiah, one from um, uh, David and Psalms. That's David got angry. And said, ah, when they were sick, I was not sleeping. That is, I've shown them so much mercy. But look at what they are now doing. Then he reversed his prayers. I'm not saying you should do that. This is Bible exegesis. I mean, what I want to say now is, is true scripture, all right? That's how Jesus reacts when mercy comes to an end over some people. But when you see those that pray, David was saying, that was the Lord Jesus speaking. I died for them. I prayed for them. I interceded for them. My people prayed for them. But they persisted in doing this. They will not come to repentance. Therefore, and I keep on saying, you don't want to know Jesus when he's angry. You don't. The devil does not know how to do a fraction of the evil he can do to people when he's angry. What does the devil know? <laughs> when Jesus is angry, when he blows upon the earth, everywhere is flooded. 